We are still in 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 6 through 11. And then we will talk about godliness coupled with contentment. (coughs) So starting at verse 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men to ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Today we will focus on two areas related to coupling the pursuit of contentment to your pursuit of godliness. First, We will focus on the great gains that come from combining our pursuit of godliness with the pursuit of contentment and the great losses that occur when we allow discontentment to be a deciding factor uh, in any of our choices and behavior. And the goal of this first part is to reinforce the motivation to seek contentment and to run away from discontentment. The second thing we're going to focus on today is looking at how we can make progress in moving toward, moving forward in godly contentment. In preparation for today's study, I do want to remind you of a few truths from last Sunday. First, true lasting contentment is not based on anything outside of ourselves. And this is an important fact. True, lasting contentment is not based on anything outside of ourselves. Now you may be thinking that God is outside of us, but he has made his home in us. Secondly, true, lasting contentment does not come to us spontaneously or automatically. It must be chosen and pursued. And three, godliness with contentment begins with being grateful and content with what God is doing, what he is allowing, what you have, and where you are. So, godly contentment requires being grateful and content with what God is doing, what he's allowing, what you have, and where you are. It is built on trust in God's goodness, dependence on God's faithfulness, and confidence in God's love. And with that, let's pray, and then we will look at the great gain and the great loss, gain from contentment, loss from discontentment. Father, again, speak to us today. Help us to see the value. Not just hear the words, but actually see 
grasp the value of godly contentment and the cost of discontentment and show us more clearly how to get there. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The great gain that Paul speaks of in verse 6, the gain of godliness coupled with contentment, is experienced in at least three uh, ways, three significant ways, and I want to point those three ways out. First, combining contentment with godliness frees you from the kind of thinking and desires that motivate you to pursue happiness, gratification, and a sense of well-being in self-serving, self-destructive, relationship-destructive ways. When you pursue godly contentment, It frees you, well, you actually have to die to these things to be free of them, but it ends up freeing you from the motivation, that inward motivation to pursue happiness or gratification or a sense of well-being in selfish, self-serving, self-destructive, and ultimately relationship-destructive ways. And to lose this motivation is to lose double-mindedness or a double life, so to speak. We often live with mixed motives, with double-mindedness, as the scripture says. One part of ourselves is seeking to please God and to love those around us, while another part of ourselves is seeking to please ourselves, to satisfy our fleshly, selfish, even sinful desires. And... When we pursue godly contentment, it requires killing off that second-mindedness, so to speak, and getting back to single-mindedness as we ought to be. And so this first great gain is the gain of no longer being driven by discontent into foolish, irrational, selfish, and self-gratifying choices and behavior. I spent two hours talking with somebody on Friday who is just a classic example of discontentment combined with fear. And this person continues to make self-destructive choices in the pursuit of contentment and the soothing of the fears. And then calls me for help, which is fine. I'm happy to give what help I can. But the reality is, there is no help that can be given until this person actually comes to terms with their own discontentment with life. And they're being driven by fear and then making such self-destructive choices to appease those things. This is a serious problem in people everywhere and even in the church. Second, choosing to be content with who God is, what he's doing and what he's allowing, ends up making it much easier to live a godly life. In other words, this is another gain. This is something that we gain when we pursue godly contentment. It helps us live a godly life. It makes it easier to live a godly life because you're no longer having to fight against your own selfish and sinful choices or behaviors that are driven by discontentment. So you make it easier on yourself to pursue God. 
Yes, as I pointed out last week, we can pursue godliness separate from contentment. But that's a harder path. And yes, learning to be content is a hard path. But when they get combined together and you have made some progress in this whole area of contentment, it really makes it easier to live a godly life. The third thing that is a gain is it produces an inward peace and an ongoing joy that are independent of your circumstances. That is, in my opinion, an amazing gain. To live with this inward peace day in and day out. To have the joy of the Lord on an ongoing basis, regardless of what's going on around you. And, and I'm not talking about uh, an exuberant joy. It's a more settled, at least in my life, it's a more settled, quiet kind of a joy. But it changes you. It has changed me. And it changes the way you look at life. changes the way you deal with life. And that is an incredible gain that comes from pursuing godly contentment. One of the things that comes out of this gain, this inward peace and this ongoing joy, is a, a change in the way you deal with the people and circumstances around you. I made a list of just several things. Let me read them to you. It enables us to have patience without irritation. You know, it's one thing to be patient, but irritated. It's another thing to be patient without irritation. I don't know how to say this any better. So bear with me. But when you get to the place where you can be content or accept that people are going to be people and behave badly and not have to approve of that, be able to know it's wrong, be able to know it causes problems, be able to know that it adds more trouble to life. But when you can get to the place that you aren't compelled to change them, especially when they're not asking to be changed, you have gained the ability to be patient without irritation. It, This kind of change in us, this inward peace, this joy that's independent of our circumstances, allows us to have sorrow without despair. We can weep over something but not be in despair. Paul speaks about that himself. It enables us to suffer without self-pity. To me, these are truly great gains. In contrast to the great gains from godliness, accompanied by contentment, we suffer great loss when we harbor discontentment. And the immediate context actually makes this clear. And I want to read verses 9 through 10 because they spell this out in very clear terms. Paul writes, but those who want to, notice the want to, it's a compelling motive from within them. Those who want to get rich because they're discontent with what they have and think more wealth will bring them greater happiness. Those who want to get rich 
fall into temptation and a snare with many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. The point is, is their discontent brings more troubles into their life. It generates loss. And the loss is often great loss. Verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it. A longing that is driven, again, by discontentment. By longing for it have wandered away from the faith. That is an immeasurable loss. They've not only wandered away from the faith, but they've pierced themselves. Notice, pierced themselves. Can you imagine sticking pins in yourself? You wouldn't do that in the sense of sitting down or getting up one morning and say, today I'm going to pierce myself with many griefs. But we end up doing that when we live out discontent and seek to gratify it so we can find some contentment. James chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, affirms the destructive power of discontentment by showing how it breeds conflict, damages or ends relationships, and promotes hostility. You've heard these verses before, but let me just give them to you once again. It begins with, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures, that is, your desires, that urge you to gratify them. You have these inward compulsions, these inward desires, these inward longings. Is not the source your pleasures that wage war? Notice those two words, wage war. They're not just feelings or thoughts or desires that are somehow rolling around inside you. They're going to war against your efforts to say no to them. They wage war in your members. These desires that... Uh, are active in you, they breed discontent and they fight for attention. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. Your discontent results in damage to broken relationships. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Your discontent results in anger and even hostile arguments. You do not have because you do not ask. So instead of turning to God, you choose to turn to the things outside of yourself to gratify your desires. And remember what I said at the beginning. True godly contentment is not based on anything outside of ourselves. And yet that's where we go to seek that contentment. Verse 3 of James chapter 4, You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You want God to make you happy and content by gratifying your selfish and sinful desires for more. That's just craziness. He's not going to do that. And so he says, you ask and you don't receive because you have the wrong motive in your asking. Back to this person that I was talking to on Friday. This person wants a relationship with another person, and is seeking that desperately, and yet is making choices that drive the other person away. Why? Because the person I was talking to is not content 
lives in fear, and so as a result makes very self-destructive, relationship-damaging choices. And the very thing this person wants, this person is making it difficult to have by making the choices that push the other person away. That's loss. All from discontentment. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32 reminds us that discontentment is not only tied to our physical desires and the things of this world, it is also tied to ingratitude toward God. And so in order to better see the cost of discontentment, what I want us to do is look for a few moments at discontentment with God. So discontentment in relation to God is in essence unhappiness with or dissatisfaction with and disapproval of what God is doing or what he is allowing or what it seems God isn't doing but could do if he would. I don't know how many of us consider that we may have some level of discontentment with God. We may have occasional moments of unhappiness with God or dissatisfaction and disapproval of what he's doing or not doing. But this is where discontentment starts with God. Why? Because for the Christian, God is our supreme being. He is ultimately our provider and protector. He is ultimately our healer. That's why we pray for healing. We go to God. Yes, we go to doctors, we go to medicine, but we go to God. We look to God to heal us. We look to God to provide and protect us. He is the ultimate one. And he is the only one with sufficient wisdom and power to prevent or stop or correct anything that we think should not have happened or should not be happening to us or to other people in our world. So we hold God up as the supreme being who can and should be doing something, and if he's not, it is very common for us to think he is somehow failing, he is somehow not living up to his job, so to speak. I do want to make this point as well, that our unhappiness or dissatisfaction with God is not only of our own making. This isn't just something that grows inside of us all by itself or stands alone. The devil is also involved. And as you may recall, and I assume you do, the devil was put out of heaven because he was not content with the position God had given him. He wanted to be at least equal with God. That would have been contentment for him. And after being put out of heaven, he began spreading this evil of discontentment by actively promoting discontentment within the human realm. And the point is, is that we are not only up against our own selfish and foolish discontentment with God and life we are also up against the devil's efforts to tempt and influence us toward discontentment. And he did this with Eve. At the very first 
of creation. He did this with Eve, who once she realized she could have more than God was making available, gave in to discontentment, took the forbidden fruit, and ate. Which makes Adam and Eve the first human examples of the great cost brought about by discontentment with God. Because whatever they gained, whatever knowledge they got from eating that fruit, their loss was far greater. Just consider these few examples. They lost their life in the garden. They lost the daily fellowship with God who came and walked in the garden in the cool of the day. Their firstborn son murdered their secondborn. Imagine. And their propensity for selfishness and sin has been spread to all of us. That's an incredible cost. And so my exhortation to us is that we would believe that regardless of where we are in our dissatisfaction with God or disapproval of his ways. It does not just originate with us. We are not just warring against ourselves. We also have to resist the devil and his efforts. And if we don't, it always brings about bad outcomes. The same is true regarding discontentment in relation to people. Before looking at that, I want to remind you that godly contentment, and you know, try to listen carefully here because this is important. Godly contentment in relation to people does not mean that you approve of their bad behavior. To be content does not mean we have to approve of somebody's bad behavior. That is not the path to godly contentment. It does not mean that you cannot openly and clearly disapprove of what they are doing. You can speak to that. You may choose to be silent. That's a choice you can make. But contentment does not mean you you have to be silent. You can speak to the issue. Godly contentment does not mean that you don't feel the pain when mistreated or that your life is not more difficult because of other people's bad behavior. You experience that pain. You have to put up with those difficulties. Think of God. Think of Jesus. God, without being here, so to speak, Christ, who came and dwelt among us, both had to live with the pain and the difficulties that came, that come into their being and life, so to speak, because of the sins of others. This is just part of life. Godliness, you know, let me go back to that for a moment. I think of God having to deal with seven plus billion people. And, you know, I know our tendency is to think we're one of the nice ones. And that it's pretty easy for him to deal with us because we're so good. And we're certainly not as bad as the worst people in the world, but... When you are perfect, imagine putting up with just my imperfections, my failings, my weaknesses, and what about yours too? But God does. 
Every day. Godliness with contentment does not mean you have to be happy with shallow or damaged or broken relationships. You can be heartbroken about that. And you probably should be. It doesn't mean you haven't lost something precious when a parent or a spouse or a child or a friend turns against you. You have lost something. Godliness with contentment in relation to people means living with these kinds of disappointments, these kinds of pains, people acting bad, means living with those things without losing your trust in God's goodness, your dependence on God's faithfulness, your commitment to godliness and to love, the inward peace, It comes from God and godly living and the joy of the Lord that remains joy in spite of the circumstances. It means living with disappointments and humanity without losing any of that last list that I gave you. All right, this is uh, supposed to be about the great cost or loss that comes to us and let me add to our character to our Christianity, to our relationships as a result of discontentment in our lives in relation to people. So think with me. Consider discontentment with people drives such things as ungodly anger. That's a loss. It's a loss of our character. We become a worse person character-wise. But it drives ungodly anger, nagging, sarcasm, abusive speech, Undue criticism, efforts to control, refusal to get involved in conflict resolution. It drives unforgiveness. It drives resentment, bitterness, jealousy, hostility, shallow or damaged or broken relationships. It drives adultery, divorce, and murder. And the list could go on. So if you consider the damage you have done to your character just as a result of discontentment. And if you consider the damage you've done to your ways of thinking and your attitudes just as a result of discontentment. And if you consider the damage you have done to the relationships with those who should be near and dear to you, then I hope it becomes clear that you are inflicting yourself with great loss just because of discontentment. And discontentment doesn't stop with God or people. We can be discontent with life in general or with a specific area of life. This kind of discontentment seems to result in such things as alcoholism, drug addiction, video gaming, constantly doing something on your cell phone. Have you gone into the public arena lately and people are looking down. Why? They're looking at their phones. Their life is lived. I mean, they, they don't, they're not pondering important things or thinking about things that could change their lives. They're entertaining themselves with their phone. Why? It's a form of seeking contentment, gratification, not having to deal with the things that make you unhappy or discontent. How about discontentment seems to result in 
searching Amazon for the next good deal. How many of us have to have something new again? Because the last thing we got new has worn off and we need something else to bring happiness or contentment or a good feeling into our lives. And again, this list could go on, but I'll stop there. The point of all this is godliness, when accompanied by contentment, is truly great gain, just as the scripture says. And godliness with discontentment results in great loss. The reality is we have brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of it either. And we will talk more about that in the future should we be together again. So the idea is, according to that scripture, that we are wise to pursue and nurture godly contentment so that we can become satisfied with food, shelter, and clothing, transportation, a job. And should we lack any of these, should we wind up in solitary confinement, should we be tortured or put off into a prison camp, should we lose any of these, then my encouragement to us is to go even further and pursue God's contentment that comes from God himself. Can we learn to be content with God himself? Is he enough? Is he enough to satisfy us? Is he enough to satisfy those desires that well up within us? Is he enough to drive out the unhealthy, the ungodly, the worthless desires that well up within us? And I believe that he is. So that regardless of what we have or don't have, if we have God himself, it is enough. And though you may not reach this level of contentment in this life, my encouragement to all of us is that let us press on because whatever level of contentment we attain, however far down this path we get, it brings great gain. So I said at the beginning of today's teaching that we would spend some time looking at how we can add contentment to our pursuit of godliness. So let me just give you a few ways. First, <clears throat> to gain godly contentment, you must work, work at being grateful for what you have. You have to work at thinking that way. You have to work at reminding yourself that that's what you want to be. This is not fooling yourself. It's not faking out your mind. This is truly directing gratitude to God for what you have and practicing that until that becomes a normal way of thinking. And it means working at being satisfied with what you have. Not just grateful, but satisfied. And satisfied regardless of what you don't have. So nurturing a mindset of gratefulness is vital. And to do this, you must work at keeping a balanced perspective, which means seeing both the good and the bad, rather than becoming so focused on the bad 
that you overlook the good. Now, I realize that we can get in really intense situations. And in the intensity of the moment, it is easy to think that that moment is our whole life, that everything is falling apart. And my urging to all of us is work at having a balanced perspective. Let us see both the good and the bad. Think about this. In spite of how bad any moment might be, if you are alive, if you belong to God, you at least have God as your Father. You have God's presence, constant, unwavering presence. You have the work of God in bringing good out of every situation. You have open to you the avenue of prayer and communion with God. You have the promise of eternal life. Are these things not enough? Are these things so insufficient, so unimportant, that the moment should overpower the truth of these great gifts that we have? Can we be grateful for what we have in spite of what is happening in the moment? To do that requires... Excuse me, a balanced perspective. And if we are reasonably honest, it seems to me that it's likely we all have food, at least all of us in this room. We have shelter, we have a home to go to, we have clothing, we have transportation, we have an income producing job, we have people who love us. And that list could go on too. Ungratefulness comes from magnifying the problem, the irritation, the negative, and ignoring the other side of the picture. Balanced perspective. Work at that. To gain godly contentment, you must work at making choices and behaving in ways that help you act as if you are content with what you have. And once again, this is not trying to fake yourself out. It's helping you get to where you ought to be. Because when we work at making choices and behaving in ways that help us act as if we're content, we have to also resist the temptation or the inward urges to be discontent. The more you resist those things, the more they die off. It's like no longer feeding and watering a plant. The longer you do that, the more it dies until it finally dies. It's gone one day. It's just dead. And that's what happens with us. I think we also have to turn a deaf ear to find contentment like this. We have to turn a deaf ear to the next thing that is popular in our society. It is easy to want what everybody around us seems to be wanting or getting. It requires putting a stop to envy and covetousness. We have to guard our own thoughts. We have to think about what attracts us and is this envy, is this covetousness. It requires thinking biblically. What does God's word say about this? 
One of the statements from God's word is, lay up treasure in heaven. Why? Because where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. If our heart is longing for things in this world, then that means that's where our treasure is. If our heart is longing for God and the things of God, that means that's where our treasure is. Contentment is longing for God and the things of God. That's how we gain contentment. To gain godly contentment, you must work at trusting that what God is doing or allowing is for your good. How often do we not necessarily get up in the morning and say, God, you're not treating me good today, or you didn't treat me good yesterday. We don't do that, but we have that sense within us, do we not? Do we really believe? Do we work at believing that what God is doing or allowing is for our good and for the good of those around us? Is this an important truth that we plant within ourselves? We have to decide every day until it becomes the way you get up in the morning. You have to decide every day to believe that God is good and to rest in his goodness. And when you're not, to resist the temptation to be anxious or fearful and go back to resting in the goodness of God. To gain godly contentment, you must be willing to accept and patiently live with people who disappoint you. Again, this doesn't mean approving of their bad behavior. But how many of us are committed to changing them? Especially when they're not asking us to change them. Can we accept that this is the way they are? It's painful. It's destructive to the relationship. It doesn't show love on their part, but that's who they're choosing to be. This is the way it is. And I accept that. I'm going to live with that in contentment, in love, not losing my peace or my joy. To gain godly contentment, we have to work at humility. This is an important one as well, because humility toward God and humility toward those around us and humility in dealing with life circumstances is essential. If you think you're undeserving of these hard times, or that you're better than somebody else, or that God owes you, or something of that nature. That kind of pride wars against contentment. You have to work at being humble. How many of us stop and think, you know, I deserve bad treatment because of all the bad things I've done. Have you ever considered that? That's humility. Most of us think, I don't deserve this. Why is this happening to me? That's pride. Humility is essential. Humility is built on the mindset of serving rather than being served. It's it's a completely different perspective. It's built on loving rather than being loved built on seeking the good of God and others rather than seeking our own good over the good of God and others. And finally, to gain godly contentment means much prayer. You have to call out to God. You have to cry out to God to help you, to show you where you're not content, to show you what you're doing to fight against contentment, to what you're doing to feed discontentment rather than contentment. 
You need to pray and you need to persevere in prayer. This isn't praying once or for a week. You may need to pray for years, five years, ten years. Change does not come immediately, rarely quickly. How committed are we to growing in godliness and contentment at the same time?